Let's begin with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be to be to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast 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 given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. Um, amen. amen. Sorry, it's the, the vowels that get me in my stutter. <sighs> Which, when we started the intro with this morning, it's like the awake. God, was like, oh, they're all relying on me to get these vowels out. All right, so we are in Lamentations chapter three. We're and you know chapter three is the longest uh, chapter in the book. Um, we talked before about how uh, this is all poetry, um, and uh, the first two chapters were both exactly twenty-two verses, um, and chapter. Three is what, three times as long. So we're going to take it bit by bit here. And with our sheet in front of us, we have three different sheets. And we're just going to, you know, some of these will be a little bit shorter than shorter and longer than others. So we're just going to take it bit by bit and go off of what the sheets have us um, dividing it up as. So does someone want to begin with Lamentations chapter 3, verses 1 through 18, uh, reading that for us? I am a man who has seen who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in sin, in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my fresh flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so, in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred me, barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made <clears throat> my path crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with the bitter herbs and seated me with God, sated me with God. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten that prosperity is what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for 
in the, from the Lord. All righty. So, again, bright sunshine and happiness this early morning uh, from <laughs> Prophet Jeremiah. But, like we've been seeing these last couple weeks, it's, it's, it's good uh, to know what, it, what a biblical um, complaint looks like, right? So, uh, the first part of our sheet there is, you know, look, in the first two chapters, the believers in Jerusalem spoke. They moaned over the destruction of, of, of Jerusalem. Yet they also confessed their sins and acknowledged God's justice in punishing um, the city. It was not the believers' fault that Jerusalem was destroyed, but they had to suffer along with, with, with their fellow, their fellow, uh, their, their fellow countrymen. In this chapter, Jeremiah speaks. He too has had to suffer. The people who brought suffering into his life were not the Babylonians, but his, but his. But his 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 fellow Jews. In chapter three, Jeremiah uses his own sufferings as a picture of the sufferings of his fellow believers in Jerusalem. So, verse one, uh, he says, "Affliction under the rod of his wrath." So, the book of Jeremiah is both a record of Jeremiah's prophecies and also a record of Jeremiah's prophetic ministry among the Jews in the last days of Jerusalem. The Lord was hard on Jeremiah, causing him to experience many hardships and, and much persecution. To Jeremiah, it was as if the Lord had deserted him. So this, this, this first part, the discussion part, we're just going to kind of go through kind of quickly. Um, because in this section, Jeremiah uses picture after picture to describe um, to describe. His agony. Work through the section and note the pictures he uses or the points he makes and join with him in in his agony. So verse one, what's the the picture that he paints there for us? I put down outburst of pain caused by the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's experiencing uh affliction and the rod of God's wrath yeah because yeah so God is the one who is doing this right uh, what about verse 2 nothing looks bright okay yeah um, he feels like God has driven him away and just left him in the dark abandoned him. I put abandoned him abandoned him yeah okay so that's that's how he's feeling, right? Anything else? Yeah, so he has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. How about verse 3? The Lord is against him. Mm-hmm. Just one time? Three. Yeah, again and again. Yeah, all day long. Yeah. Yeah. It's just unending, right? Um, verses four through six. That's a little bit more there. But what what is what is he? How is he painting the picture of his pain there? That he's dead to to God. Dead to God. Mm-hmm. 
made my flesh and my skin waste away, broken my bones. Okay? Anything else? He's emaciated. Emaciated? Okay, yeah. Hopeless. Hopeless, yeah. So he's afflicted in both body and soul, as it were, right? He's talking about um, his, his flesh and his skin and his broken bones, and then uh, just the general besieged uh, with, with pain and tribulation and uh, made me to dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. Right, yeah. Um, so God afflicted his body and sent, sent, sent bitterness and hardship into his life. Okay, any other thoughts on that? Anybody else get anything else? If this is too fast, let me know. Um, how about verse 7? Uh, what is he saying there? He's trapped. He's, yeah, he's a prisoner. Yeah. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Yeah, yeah he feels that he's walled in. Um, and it's very interesting. If, if you've read Jeremiah, that's what happened to him, right? He was chained up, literally. Like he, he wasn't a very popular preacher. Uh, he was. They didn't like what he had to say um, because he called them to. He called the people to repent, and you know we're going to see later on. They they threw him down into a well. Um, they chained him up. You know, um, they they persecuted him, right? So this is not just uh, this is not just um, this is not just symbolic or figurative, right? He actually spent a lot of his life in chains in prison. Yeah. You know? um, how about verses eight through nine? What's he saying there? The Lord doesn't listen to his prayers. Mm-hmm. Anything else? It's, the, it's like God just put a deaf ear to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just like she said, just doesn't hear nothing. Yeah, and you know, I think a that, couple... That's very frightening. <laughs> yeah, a couple, a couple yeah. weeks ago, uh, a couple weeks ago, I think Paul said, you know, he, he stopped listening to him, and I... And I I kind of pushed back at those like, oh, well, you know, God, you know, I don't, I don't know if you fully stopped listening to, to them. But I, I think I said that again in the class uh, later on in the day. And uh, I think it was Sean that was like, no, it says in Jeremiah, like, I, I, I have shut my ears to their cries. Kind of, you know. And so I was like, oh, well, I got I to gotta walk back on that one because he did, you know. Um, <clears throat> the people were crying out, but the thing is, is that there is an end again to God's patience. Um, and that is a terrifying thing and it's rightfully so, right? We should fear, love and trust in God above all things. And to fear him means to fear him, right? That he is, you know, what is it? Um, the Psalm, Psalm 131, I think, or I could be wrong on that. It's, it, it's in the one thirties where um, the psalmist says that with God there is forgiveness that he may be feared, right? That he is the one who holds grace and 
and the the forgiveness of sins within his hand and therefore we should fear him as a result right he's the one to be sought out for these things and when he's spurned uh that's not good you know because god is not just a god of love but he's a god of justice as well those things are not mutually exclusive so they're seeing right now what happens when sinless when when sin just goes rampant and is unchecked and nobody cares and they're suffering right yeah it's what we call tough love <laughs> yes and sometimes yeah. we have to do that with our children especially during those teenage years is just show some tough love and turn our back on and say you know what you want to go do that you just go do it it's like, i told you enough and that's right yeah so it's called tough love yeah, or, or, or you face your consequences, right? Exactly. You face You'll your consequences. Yeah. And, and yeah, and, and you know, I'm a big advocate of seeing God in that, that fatherly light, Me right? And, and to say he does these things for a reason. And, and as a father, I, I keep finding examples of, you know, you got to, there are things you have to do that you don't want to do with your kids or, 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 you know, as as far as like punishing them or or making them know the consequences for when they sin or, or, you know, go against what you tell them to do and that, which is sin, right? They're not honoring you as the parent, but you do it for their good so that they'll learn that that's not a right way to live. It's hard, but it's done out of love, right? Yeah. Hebrews 12 says, a loving father disciplines. That's right. Mm-hmm. You yeah. don't discipline if you're not cared about your children. That's right. And and the Proverbs have much to say about how that, how, which, okay, the Proverbs have a lot to say about it, and Hebrews quotes Proverbs saying that, yeah, you, if you are not disciplined as a son, then you're not legitimate. You know, you're, you're, you're nothing better than a slave. And we're not slaves. We, we are slaves to God, but we are also sons. It's kind of a weird mixture. But he sees us as sons. He doesn't crack the whip uh, because he hates us, but he disciplines and chastens us because he loves us, right? Um, yeah. Any other thoughts on that? All right. So um, what about verses 10 through 11? Wait, wait, did we do verses 8 and 9? Yeah, we did that. Okay. Verses 10 through 11. The Lord won't have anything to do with them. Well, not only that, what what does he have to do with them in verses 10 through 11? What does he describe God as being? A bear. A bear bear. and a lion. lion. Yeah. He turned aside my step and steps and tore me to pieces. He has laid me desolate. <laughs> I mean, that's when the Lion of Judah gets serious, if you want to think of it that way, right? Um, that that God is, and 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 C.S. Lewis, you know, he's 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 a, a decent, he's an okay theologian. He's not Lutheran, so we'll forgive him for that one, but. He's good with the things that he, with like the pictures he draws in uh, the Chronicles of Narnia and um, 
it's it's good that he that that he pictures um, Aslan as the the great lion. And when you know it, this is a well quoted part of that that book where he says uh, when when I think it's like the beavers and the kids are talking to the beavers and the beavers say is he safe and the beaver says oh no he's not safe but he's good right he's a lion he's not safe but he's good right and that makes the difference um, he's not to be messed with but he is to be trusted as it were. Yeah, because he's good. We studied that book through uh, when Pastor McCall was here. McCall was here. Was here. Good. I still have the book. Yeah, the, good. The Narnia book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've got the movie. Yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I like the movie it, it's, it's sad at the end, but... Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, it, it all works out, though. Yeah. I mean, and there's more books, too, so maybe we can yeah. uh, kind of do that periodically, dive yeah. into a Chronicles of Narnia book. That'd be kind of neat. Um, see all the things that it has to teach us for that. Um, so yeah, God attacked Jeremiah though like a lion. How about verses twelve through thirteen? What is he saying there? That he's a target. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys, or you know, uh, heart. I think that Karen read, and that's, I think that's the the NIV, right? Um, I mean, the, depending on the culture, different organs were the seat of your feelings, and in the Hebrew culture, it was the kidneys, which is kind of interesting. Um, but so um, he drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. So pain, right? Suffering. Um, how about verses fourteen through fifteen? Lord's making fun of him. Yeah. Okay. That's hard for me to picture. That uh, yeah. Jeremiah was a laughing stock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, but it's hard for me to, to picture God making yeah. fun of him. Well, I don't know if God is making fun of him, but he he sets him as a laughing like he's a laughing stock of all the people. All the people. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that is hard to think about. What? What makes that hard to reconcile with? He's a loving God, mm-hmm. and he's compassionate. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to conceive it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And he's just trying to deliver God's message. Yeah, he's just he's just doing what we're all supposed to do, right? He's he's speaking the word of God, and and why are people laughing at him? You know, it's God's word. What do y'all think about that? I mean, Paul, you had something well, to say? As I read all of this, I thought what we were just talking about, mm-hmm. why, why is he doing this? And then this thought came to me, and I can't make anything of it. It's okay. just a thought. So okay. maybe y'all can. Right. But Jesus suffered on the cross mm-hmm. to make us better. Mm-hmm. And... I think, you know, he makes us suffer for some reason to make somebody else better or... To make ourselves better, too. To make ourselves better Mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. But, and and I was thinking of our dear friend Alice. You know, you you were hurting so much last week because of your daughter's illness. Mm -hmm. And, you know... 
when I thought that today, reading this, I thought maybe he's making her hurt to make Valerie better or something. <laughs> I don't know, but it was just a thought, you know. Yeah. That, well, it's going you to know he suffered for us, so yeah. It, it's almost like, well, we should suffer. Well, I mean, yeah, Well, what you're talking about is the theology of the cross, you know, that um, the theology of the cross says that there is glory in suffering. And that's contrary to what the world and the flesh would have us believe, right? That... Um, when you think about glory, you think of things that are bright and shiny and happy, right? Uh, and we have a lot of theologians of glory nowadays that don't want to talk about the hard stuff. They want to they scratch those ears that itch to hear the things they want to hear. Whereas what we need to hear is that, that we are afflicted by sin and we are cleansed by the one who was stricken, smitten, and afflicted for us, right? Who is Jesus Christ. So there's something that when we engage in suffering, we know that he shares in that with us as well. He knows our pain. He's not a God who is so far above us that he kind of looks down and cocks his head when he sees that we're suffering and go, I don't understand that, right? He knows exactly what it means to suffer. And also, like you were saying, though, um, you know, First Peter, uh, yeah, Peter talks about it. Hebrews talks about it, where uh, and and Paul talks about it in Romans that suffering produces character, and character produces endurance, endurance and endurance produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, right? So, in the midst of suffering, we have hope, not because we're so strong but because we have one who was strong in our stead and died for us. And, and, and you know, is it, is it Peter that says this? Or, no, no, it's Hebrews that says this, that you have not resisted sin to the point of shedding your own blood, right? There's always more that you can be afflicted with, but you know that Christ is there in the midst of your suffering. And whenever somebody quotes, was it, was it Corinthians, where it says, you know, that um, um, you have not, uh, that, that, um, oh, what is it, that, that, that whenever you face temptation, God gives you a way out of it, you know, a, a way to endure it, you know, we've said that, you know, some people say that in times of struggle and temptation, and really the way out of it is Jesus, right? It's, it's not just that, you know, God gives us a safety valve or, you know, a latch to pull and we get to go out of it and be away from it, but he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, yeah, because he's our good shepherd. And we're following the one who has suffered for us. And there's, a, there's all that stuff is just connected. And I keep going on and on and on about it. But the point of suffering is to understand the glory of God, which is... Only something that can be grasped, grasped by faith in what God has to say in his word, right? And, and yeah. to try to uh, work 
with others and raise children in a way that there is no suffering <laughs> yeah. produces what I think we have now in young people, which is massive depression and yeah. anxiety and suicide and all that. Well, that's, uh, yeah. A little suffering can teach a lot. Yeah. You know, that's why I think that there's this, any, well, it just depends. Uh, and I think it also, it, it just, according to God's gracious providence, that there are some younger people, you know, like in Gen, Gen Z, the Zoomers, as they call them, um, there are Gen Z, especially young men, who crave discipline, who crave someone to tell them, that you know they they don't have to stay in the cycle of uh, debauchery that they've been that has that has been thrust upon them. I mean, we have Zoomer kids, uh, um, Gen Z kids who are growing up now, and they are depressed. And you see a lot of deaths of despair, suicides, and things like that. And and a lot of it is, I think, and and we'll see as the years go on. A lot of that comes from this um, hedonistic mindset that says, you know, you have your passions and you have your desires and just give in to them. It's not a big deal. You know, this is the fruit that we are reaping from things like the sexual, the sexual, sexual revolution and, you know, all kinds of horrible things that have come from that and, 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 there are thankfully Gen Zers who are saying, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. I want, I want a way to fight this because something's wrong about it. And there need to be people in the church ready to receive young people like that to say, we'll help you. We'll help you know that suffering can actually be a good thing because without it, they're, yeah, understandably despairing because they don't have any hope attached to it. And then the generation below that, it was just a major article in the farm magazine I read. Mm -hmm. Testosterone levels are half of normal. Yeah. In that generation. Yeah. None of them want to come back to farm. Yeah. None of them want to inherit the business. Right. They don't want risk. They yeah. don't want effort. Yeah. So you're talking about those who are debauchery. The next generation is a bunch of... Yeah. Like I told my, I, I didn't know guys in college didn't want to chase girls. You know. <laughs> yeah, that was one problem for sure. I thought everybody in college did was just chase girls. I saw them walk by, you just want after them. But now this, like, no, I don't, I don't want. Like, what? Are you kidding me? Well, you know what? I think I think a lot of that has to also do with the environment that they're growing up in, not just psychological but biological as well. Um, you have a lot of, well, and I'm 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 not some. Uh, granola hippie or anything like that but i think that the production of like plastics and the the introduction of a lot of soy and other phytoestrogen type things into our foods food supply has been very detrimental especially to men and their testosterone because soy is like one of the biggest crops in america right now that's what you see everybody planting and if you look sorry not to be like a conspiracy theorist but look in mayonnaise Soybean oil. Soybean oil is in everything. And for some reason, the phytoestrogens in that 
really affect you? Why do you think they have, sorry, man boobs now? Like a, got a, a, <laughs> lot, a lot of guys have a problem with this and you go, it's because they're ingesting a lot of estrogen. And I, I, I mean, I don't want to say that there's like a grand conspiracy, but I will say that like Satan hates men. And by coincidence, he's going to make sure that men are as emasculated as possible in the coming generations. I, so I'd there's something like that going on. I'm a sure. farmer who raises soybeans yeah. and corn, and I would challenge most of that idea. Okay. I would say that it's not what you see out there is caused by a lack of discipline. Okay. People eat too much. Well, there's that. There's yeah. like obesity. The number one health problem is obesity, particularly in kids. Yep. So you sugar, got, yeah, lots yeah, of sugars and all this stuff. Everybody's right. walking around all day long eating chips instead of mom at home saying, "No, you can't have that." Go outside and play. Eat an apple and just go outside and play. Yeah, yeah. You stop eating that third bag of chips, huh? Yeah, yeah. That's true. I, I think they're all connected, though. I think think there's 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 connections there because and, and I'm I'm not a scientist. I don't know a whole lot about this, but but I do know that that um, at least for men. When you ingest a lot of things that have phytoestrogens in them, and I just found out also that you can produce more estrogen when you eat things like Greek yogurt that doesn't necessarily have it in it. You know, it's kind of weird how there are so many things on the market now that produce these things, that produce these reactions in our bodies that um, are really detrimental to us. Our food supply is garbage, honestly, by and large, most of the time. I think uh, our food supply is is an enormous blessing from the Lord. You walk into a okay. grocery store, you got thirteen kinds of lettuce, you got twenty seven kinds of carrots. That's true. You only have to pick what you want. That's true. If this one here isn't organic, then buy that one. If this one here is not hand is hand picked by somebody in Ecuador, right. then buy that one. Yet at the same time, you have you have people who are lazy. Sorry. I'm one of them. I'm lazy too. I'd rather go buy a bag of chips than a piece of lettuce, you know, than a salad that would actually help me. And it's cheaper too to buy chips than a salad, right? So that's what I mean is that the choices out there. So that multiple choices is a bad thing. No, no, no. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. What I'm saying is that there is, well, there is decision fatigue, first of all. And the easiest thing for our sinful flesh to do is to choose the easiest thing. And when you have the easiest option available, I'm not saying that we need to overregulate anything or anything like that. Maybe we need to help people to make better choices. But when I say like our food supply is garbage, I think there's so much processed stuff out there and it is addicting with sugar and all this other stuff. It's, it's addicting to the point where when somebody walks into a grocery store, they walk right by the produce aisle and the, the, um, they walk right by the produce aisle produce aisle, the dairy aisle, all the things that would actually be substantive and good for them more so than anything else, they go right to the stuff that's packaged and processed and tastes better on some level to their altered taste buds, I guess. But I think the overabundance of choice, it's easy. And that's not a bad thing, it, but it, I think it goes back to what you're saying, a lack of discipline. People are not taught, maybe they are taught, to some degree, but it's easier on some level to eat those things than it is to say, I want the hand-picked lettuce and not the one that was this or that or the other, right? I want the organic and not just the regular kind or something like that. So you're right. It is a blessing that we have such an abundance of food. 
Um, and yet there's still that challenge because there's still terrible things out there you shouldn't eat and people don't have the discipline for it. Well, then that's, that's a personal problem. That's, right. That's not, a, that's not a food production distribution problem, marketing problem. People always say it's a marketing problem. No, I'm not saying Everybody that. Everybody says on TV, look at that. Well, let's turn off your TV. Right, exactly. If you want yeah. pizza, don't buy the kind that's already baked with 10 tons of salt in it. Have your wife actually make a pizza. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Or you, know, you can yeah. actually make a pizza. No, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. The, and, and, but I would, I would add to that, and we can get back to our, our discussion of lamentation, but I, I lament people you know, to talk about lamentations. I, I lament the, the, um, the lack of discipline, um, the, um, what was it? Sorry. The, um, I was going to tack on, like, I don't, I don't think it's a marketing problem. Um, because I, I think it is a discipline problem also. Put the phone down, turn the TV off, read a book about what it's right to eat or whatever. I have a Kindle, so it's like, read that book. I don't care, whatever way you got to read a book. But um, yeah, there's a lack of discipline. We have been too indulged in our passions instead of trying to tame them. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just, it's bad all over, as they say. You know, it's bad all over in a lot of ways. Um, well, what else was I going to say? Um, and, and I say it's good all over. Huh? <laughs> I really do. I think it's, we're living in some of the best times ever. Out there is dark. Yeah. But in here, man, I got food that I could never dreamed of when I was a kid. You know what? Yeah. It's cheap. Yeah. I can drive all over the country in a nice car. For now, can, as long as gas is good. <laughs> <laughs> Prices come and go, but I that's look true. at the blessings out there. That's true. Yeah, no, you're right. That when I started farming, mm -hmm. what my dad did, mm -hmm. my grandfather, great-grandfather, yeah. Yeah. and I, I have nothing to be upset about. Yeah. Well, no, you know what? Thank you for that because my generation, the millennials, tend to be a little doom and gloom. Yeah. And so we need to be reminded that there are blessings in the world, and it's good to be reminded of that, that... Uh, I, one of my, one of my favorite millennials, I'll just say that he's, um, pastor out in Colorado now, um, the Reverend Dr. Uh, Kuntz, I don't know if you know of Dr. Kuntz, I've talked about him before. He's so optimistic and it makes me insane. Um, because, because I'm just like, I wish I could be like that most of the time. Um, and, and, and I could be maybe if I trusted God more. Right. Uh, and I struggle with that. I'm a pastor, but I still struggle with that. And um, I, he, he talked about this one book from like the 1800s, the Hoosier schoolmaster or something like that. And there's this little character and there's a little kid. When things are going bad, he runs around and he says, God's forgot us. God's forgot us. And then when things are good, he says, God ain't forgot us. God ain't forgot us. You know, it's like, and, and he said, he said, I think that character of a boy in a book has a better grasp on God's providence than most Lutheran pastors today. You know, God has not forgot us. He takes care of us. He gives us our daily bread. Um, and yet we still struggle against the sinful flesh and we call others into that struggle with us knowing that the struggle is not in vain. Right? Um, so there's both sides of that. And I appreciate your perspective on that because it helps us get out of the despair that Satan would have us wallow in.
I mean, I get to leave Iowa where you had us practice this year, this morning. I've been yeah. singing that in our church for 10 years. That's great. And I come to church here on Sunday and I listen to you and it's the same thing we hear at home. Yeah. And I go visit children in different states and it's the same thing I hear at home. Mm -hmm. I look around and I see all these young people. Mm -hmm. we, we were in Concordia, Mequon, up in Milwaukee. Yeah. Granddaughter up there went to the church. The place is packed. And the first thing I said to my wife was, this is going to be a good service because there's no boomers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only person was probably 55, but the families that came in, there was kids. Every, there were so many kids, and there was reverence, and they were well-dressed, and they were singing, and there was a choir, and organ music, and I said, it was, there is of, a future to the LCMS. There were a bunch of people. <laughs> it's kind of amazing, and then A bunch of kids. It's kind of amazing. That this yeah. is really, and then my granddaughter, who's studying there, um, She's got all these friends with her, and they're all going to be church workers. And there's this, met this six four guy in pre seminary, and I said, "You go to seminary?" He said, "Yeah." And my first thought was, "God still makes young boys that want to be pastors." That's right. Now. That's great. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. What? I mean, this kid must have had some incredible, and his girlfriend is from Taiwan. Oh, wow. Her dad is white. Her mom is Taiwanese. She studied online from Wittenberg Academy. Mm -hmm. Came over to get a classical education major. That's right, yeah. Cute little Taiwanese gal, going to get married to this big, tall drink of water, is going to go to the seminary. And I'm thinking, <laughs> God is good. Okay. God is good, God. yeah. Everything's humming right along. Yeah, God is good, yeah. It's yeah. working. I will say that, though, there there is probably going to be some some bumpy times ahead of us, yep. but that doesn't mean that we're totally desolate and forgotten. And that's probably something to remember. And I told that, when I met that tall guy, I said, is this your girlfriend? He kind of looked at me, I said, if you let her go, you know what I'm gonna do? He said, what, I'm gonna find a tuba for her. I'm gonna hit you up alongside the head. Don't you let her go, whatever you do. You, yeah. you get her lassoed right now. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead and get married yeah yeah it's good and god pleasing yeah yeah no yeah you're right i mean that's that's uh, it's kind of amazing to see that that's kind of also what i was talking about and we'll get back to this in a second that's kind of what i was talking about you get the younger generation who says you know they live in a world of transience they live in a world that is just always passing by nothing sticks for more than a week at least on you know TV and on social media and stuff like that, everything just comes and goes. So what the ones who really want to get out of that despair do, they want to hold on to something. Um, they want to hold on to something that's not just old but timeless. It has been around. It has stood the test of time, uh, and it is good. And we have that in the church. In fact. It's nowhere else. It's only in the church. And so it's not that we're just one choice amongst many. We're the only choice. And so when you present it that way, I, I mean, you have the potential to get younger generations to say, I want to be a part of something that lasts, that is ancient. And that's what, you know, we offer here. That's what that's what they offer in a lot of other churches uh, in the synod, and, and and thanks be to God for that. 
right? Thanks, thanks be to God. He has preserved us. Yeah. So, thank you for that little bit of a jaunt. That. Uh, no, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Um, so, uh, how about... Yeah, so Jeremiah becomes the laughingstock of Israel. I mean, and in some sense, we, we as the church are the laughingstock of the world, but who cares? Our Lord has won, right? The battle has been, the battle and the war has been won by uh, Christ, yeah? So we can, we can suffer uh, taunting, and in fact, Jesus even says, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of slander against you for, falsely for my sake. Right, uh, for so they persecuted the prophets before you, like Jeremiah. Right, um, and uh, yeah, Jer Jeremiah even had to spend the night in the stocks at the city gate. I mean, literally, people walked by him and just laughed in his face. Probably threw stuff at him too. You know, I mean, uh, that's a hard thing to reconcile. But again, in light of the suffering of Christ, it makes sense. Yeah, it it makes sense. Um, how about verse sixteen? Verse 16. And no Ouch. Food. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Broken my teeth with gravel. Yeah. 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 Made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I mean, and that's, that's also, that's something that, I, well, when you see it elsewhere, it's in the Psalms, right? It's in the imprecatory Psalms where, where the psalmist prays that he would break the teeth of the wicked, right? Break the teeth of the young lion so that they cannot cause any more harm, right? Um, and in some sense, that's what he's doing with, with Jeremiah and all those along with him. He's caught up in this wickedness just by having people next to him doing it and not stopping, right? We've talked about that before, that that what your neighbor does actually does affect you. That when you say, well, as long as somebody's doing it in the privacy of their own home, you know, when it comes to sexual stuff, right? Because we've heard that before. Think about if it was satanic worship. <laughs> well, as long as they do their satanic worship in the privacy of their own home and don't bother me, it's like, no, proximity matters, right? Uh, and, and, their debauchery or their sin, it, it actually does come around to infect us and our children. Um, and and, and that's, that's why we got to be careful with what our kids get involved in and who they spend their time with and all this stuff like that, right? Um, so there's that. Uh, we can get caught up in these things. But yeah, with, with uh, Jeremiah, um, yeah, we, I said that Jeremiah was thrown into a dungeon and once into a dry well. You know, he's been trampled and just torn down and beaten. Um, what about verses 17 through 18? I put down no peace, forgotten no hope. Yeah, he, he wasn't happy. Yeah, he has no joy, for sure. <laughs> yeah, forgotten what happiness is. Yeah. Um, I have a little note there in my Bible, where it's, or in my translation here. It says, uh, with, with the word happiness, the Hebrew is good. So he's forgotten what goodness is, or good is. So I say my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Um, 
So, apply. How does the prophet's lament help us face our times of agony and loss? You see that other people have just as much problems as you do and more. Mm -hmm. You look out, you can see somebody has worse problems than you do. Yeah. Fortunate. So com compared to other people, someone's always got it worse. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes that helps to see. What about, um, what about for someone who doesn't believe that? <laughs> what, do you, what do you tell the one to say that says, well, no one's got it worse than I do? And that's not necessarily true, but what do you say to someone like that? Huh? Too bad. Too bad? <laughs> oh, man. Stinks to be you. Yeah, right? That's too bad, man. Um, so, yeah. Uh, well, I mean... People like that, you can't rationalize them. That's right. You can't yeah. talk to them. So you may as well just slap them upside the face. Well, just tell them, too just, bad. Turn well, around and walk just off. Just walk away from them. Yeah. Just slap them. <laughs> just, no, but I mean, not literally. Don't, don't not slap them. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. You, they're living in a, in a false... Feeling sorry for yourself. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, what is it? Yeah. Uh, Luther, when when Melanchthon, you know, his friend, what, he, he felt so, so much sorrow for his sin at one point in time. He felt so much sorrow for his sin that he felt that there was no way that Jesus could forgive him. And you know what Luther did? He said, how dare you say that the blood of Christ is not good enough for you? Mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, he said, snap out of it. You're not so far gone because if you were, then you're a greater sinner than Christ as a savior. You don't want to say that. That'll damn you, right? And as far as we know, Melanchthon got over it. <laughs> but, uh, and I don't know if it was a direct result of Luther, but I'm sure it had something to do with it. And, and sometimes people need to be shocked because Satan gets us so down that we think that there is no hope, but then that would mean that you're somehow outside of the salvation of Christ. And that's not what God says. That's not what he promises um, as far as those who have sorrow for their sin and trust in Christ, right? So uh, some, sometimes people need a little bit of a slap upside the head, not literally necessarily, unless that's the only way you can get their attention, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I would never do it. Um, <clears throat> if you know them well enough and they know you're joking, maybe, or something, I don't know. But maybe verbally just say, you need to, you need to realize that to say this is on dangerous ground. You know, you're on dangerous ground right now. Um, at, the, at the very least, though, his lament here helps us know um, that at times God allows his believers to witness or, or go through um, pain and suffering. Um, and uh, that's okay. That's all part of, that's actually what we're promised as Christians. Uh, we're actually promised pain and suffering in this life even if it's only from our own sin, yeah? Even if everything else external of us is going just fine, we are promised that we're also going to have agony for the wrong things we do, not just the wrong things, the sinful things that we do, 
so that repentance can be had and so that we rely on God's compassion and great mercy, right? Um, it's not so that we'll just wallow, but it is so that we will get outside of ourselves and look to uh, the God who saves us, yeah? The one true God. So um, it also, in that sense, it also helps us to know that the answer to our torment is to draw on God's great compassion, right? And that he promises to save us through these things, bring us through these things. Um, and, and that gives us the hope that Paul talks about. Yeah. One time, it was said that uh, if everybody put all their problems on the table and you could pick whichever one you wanted, you'd take yours back. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Everybody's got problems. And then, uh, what's that saying? I met a man that had no shoes and I felt sad until I met a man that had no feet. feet. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I don't know if you say all that to tell people, yeah, you're, you're pretty worse, you're pretty bad off, but there's other things that are worse. So. Yeah. Be thankful. <laughs> and you can also maybe, if they're a Christian, say, yeah, you're, you're suffering really. Your suffering is not small right now. But know that Christ, not to make you feel worse, but to make you feel better, Christ suffered worse than you did. Yeah. Right? So that you would realize that what you're going through is nothing in comparison and that you can draw strength from what he has done for you. For you right? I mean, so there's that side of it too. There's all kinds of ways. I can't, I can't give you a script yeah. on how to deal with people like this, this sort of thing, but to know your Bible and to know that suffering is a part of the Christian life helps in talking to people that are struggling through these things. And, and to know people who are suffering who are adamantly non-Christian, that's the worst. It's terrible. That's just the yeah. worst. Yeah. Because there's no hope in that. That's just horrible. Yeah. It's just, yeah. that's so hard, at least for me. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to see. But that's, I believe, the Holy Spirit. You know, you're drawing compassion from the one who gives it and that you want them to not know despair in the way that they are. Because right? without Christ, the suffering means nothing, right? We, we have a friend who's a, a doctor, and he was an ER specialist up at Sandpoint, Idaho, for years. And he purposely chose to work the... Friday night through Sunday night shift, two 24-hour shifts, 48 hours, as a Christian, so that he could take all those people who were in bad shape, and if possible, minister to them and witness to them at the end. And he wrote an article probably five years in and said, I have not met one person yet who would change their mind on their deathbed who was not a Christian. I've not met one person. So, so he he did so so all of these people he who were in traumatic life and death circumstances uh -huh. he might have he might properly have the chance to talk to them about their faith okay yeah he found out they didn't have a faith and they didn't want to talk about it mm. uh, so for five years of dealing with people on their deathbed not one single person was interested in listening to you know like we say the thief on the cross yeah you know. Who do you say that I am? And at the last minute, the one guy said, you know what? I think you're the Savior. 
But not he did he couldn't find one that would do that. He didn't find one person in five years or ten years, whatever that article was, who would would listen to what he's saying under deathbed. And he was just writing this article as kind of a I never would have believed it would have been like this. I purposely went in here as a Christian so I could talk to people. And then when you get to that point, I mean when you get to that point, sometimes you're just so seared and hardened that that yeah. that you can't do anything but reject, yeah. right? So that's very sad. That's devastating. It is. Um, <clears throat> well, on that cheery note, um, <laughs> let's keep going. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 through 39. Who wants to read that for us? See, I thought that first start part was going to be the quick part. Oh, All right, uh, let's just keep going. Though. Lamentations 3, verses 19 through 39. Who wants to read that? Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men, to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit the Lord does not approve, who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? All right. So, uh, the look portion, the center of a Hebrew book is often the high point of the book. It expresses the most important point or presents the conclusion of the matter. We are now at the center of Lamentations. Verse 27, uh, bear the yoke in his youth. It is good to bear the burden of God's chastening when the vigor of youth can bear it more easily, when people have carried the yoke of, 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 of suffering already in their youth. They can take the benefits of it with them throughout their lives. And if the Lord is merciful... They can experience peace and happiness in their old age. What do y'all think about that? Amen. Yeah. 
Because, I mean, what happens when you have an easy life for most of your life, and then at the end it gets really, really hard? I mean, more likely to suffer in temptation, right? Well, Scripture says to uh, forgive us the sins of our youth. Mm -hmm. So I think young people have a tendency to stray a little more than old people do. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a few more wild oats to be sown someplace. <laughs> well, they don't need to be, but yeah. <laughs> forgive us the sins of our youth. It doesn't say forgive us the sins of our middle age. Right, yeah. So youth is a time of real, typically yeah. stretching the limits. It says here, if you I do that. <laughs> well, she can finish the story. <laughs> She said, I was one of them. Go ahead. Look at that. We were all one of them. <laughs> <laughs> At one point in our time. Testimonial <laughs> but if you But if you go through that in your youth and, it, and you learn from that, and then downstream, you know, everything gets tempered because of what you figured out when you were young. Mm -hmm. Which is why I think that, uh, going back to what we said before, I think the younger generation of the Gen Zers, the ones that are willingly enduring chastening, uh, disciplining themselves, um, resisting the temptation of their present world, will in the long run be stronger than any of us, I think. Um, you know, there are, there are young men right now um, who want to be good godly men and they have i mean you talk about the blessings of all the things that we have at our fingertips now you know horrible things are also at our fingertips as well and so it takes the discipline we talked about to resist um those horrible things that would cause us you know despair and pride or whatever whichever way on the uh, pendulum you want to swing and the more you do that, the more galvanized and fortified you are when you're older so that, you know, future generations may be blessed as well. That they'll be able to raise up future generations by saying, you know, this is, this is what is good and godly and right to do. You know? So I have hope in that sense that there will be, you know, the, We've, we've talked before about the problems with the LCMS, at least generally, with certain things going on right now. And I think the younger men involved in that will um, be galvanized by it and uh, be more likely to endure for the long term and bless the church, or the church will be blessed in their endeavors for time to come. Um, and, and, you know, that's going to take some fire, though. And... The, the, the hotter the fire, the stronger the steel, is, as the saying goes, right? So sometimes we'll see, uh, and, and I have hope for that reason. Yeah. <coughs> so I told you I was, grew up in Concordia, Mequon. Yeah. And my granddaughter out there, I asked her if she got any Bs or Fs yet, and she said no. And I said, you ought to try to get some of those. They're real easy to get. I used to get them all the time. And she said, no. So there's your example right there. She wouldn't. She, yeah. she didn't take the path I did. She's taking a smart path. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Working hard. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, yeah, that's good. Yeah, because there's plenty of people that are taking the easy road, you know, and, and to know that there are, there are younger people who want to be disciplined is encouraging, you know. Um, so what happened when Jeremiah thought of his afflictions, verses 19 through 20? 
He was humbled. Okay. Yeah. Um, I said depressed. Yeah, I, I'd say depressed as well. Um, distressed, depressed, humbled. Humbled in the sense of humiliated, I guess you could say. And those words are connected for a reason. Huh? Embarrassed. Embarrassed. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Yeah. So in the midst of remembering his gloom and suffering, Jeremiah remembered something else. What did he remember? Verses 21 to 25. Great is thou faithfulness. Yeah, great is I thy love faithfulness. That song. Yeah. <laughs> great yeah. is thy faithfulness that Yeah. What? <laughs> so what this is like the bright spot in Lamentations. I, I was telling y'all before, like in the first chapter or when we did the intro and everything like that, you know, you you get these these Bible apps on your phone or whatever, and I've I've got one, it's um U version or whatever, and it's a good Bible app, but they also have all these popular preachers do these really short two-minute videos or whatever for encouragement. And when I looked up, when I searched out Lamentations, none of them wanted to touch anything else but this part right here. They all wanted to say, you know, let's read Lamentations 3, 21 through, you know, 25 or whatever, and or somewhere in between there. And, and it's like, great is your faithfulness. I'm just like, why don't you touch on chapter 1? or chapter 2, or the rest of chapter 3, and see what happens. Why don't you go all the way to the end of, to the end of chapter 5 and see how, <laughs> how he basically says, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. Amen. <laughs> well, let's touch on that one. Give us a cheery message from that one. But no, they don't want to touch it, right? But that's okay on some level because you can't just wallow like we've been saying. You need to remember that God's steadfast love never ceases. It endures. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Yeah, You have to have that because lamentations, like we've been saying, is not all about wallowing. It's not all about complaint. That's, that's a big part of it. But biblical lament never is without hope. There's always hope because of the one that you are complaining to. Yeah. So this is the heart of his complaint. This is the heart of his, his of, of Jeremiah's um, of Jeremiah's lament. Right? He remembered the Lord's love and compassion. He recalled that the Lord's compassions are new every morning and that his his, his, his faithfulness is great. Um, so the Lord wants us to hope in him, and when we do, he is good to us, right? Um, he wants us to seek him in, 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 in repentance and faith. Yeah. Any, any thoughts on that? Questions? Well, the only thought I have is, yeah. when, you know, when you go through challenges when you're young, 
and everything goes along for 20, 30 years. You know, you get married, you have kids, da 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 da. Uh, it just everybody knows this, but it's amazing how fast time goes. It's like boom, and you go. I don't even remember that stuff that was bothering me back there, uh -huh. and I thought it was huge back then. Uh -huh. Yeah. So just from a practical standpoint. You know, get over it. <laughs> you just, you're going to be 60 before you know it. Don't yeah. just sit around there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, personally, I, I find myself, you know, when having kids, I, I'm, I'm, um, I'm still, I'm still young. I'm, I'm 36, but I'm just starting to have kids. And I would imagine having 30. Having, having kids at 36 is a little bit different than like 26, like my wife. So she's a little, she has more endurance than I do on some things. But both of us have to learn, and, and I'm sure y'all know exactly what I'm talking about, is that I've learned from folks who have had kids who now have grandkids and, you know, some great grandkids that you hear that. It goes by really fast. And that thought has stopped me from getting too bogged down when my daughter is crying or complaining or, you know, throwing a fit or whatever to my thought is, I don't want to be here right now. That's my initial thought. I don't want to be here. I don't want to deal with this. I just want to walk away and not be what, whatever. But then I remember that she's not always going to be like this. There are times when she's also a tremendous joy. And also later on in life, I pray that I would be able to look back and just laugh, you know, and just laugh at how she threw fits and we just dealt with it, you know, because she's not always going to be this small. And I tell, I tell my wife this and she, she says, don't tell me that it's depressing, but it's like, I say, I say, they're never going to be this small ever again. Right. And this is, a, you know, this like they're going to they're just going to get bigger. They're going to get older and they're not always going to be exactly like this. And that's for better or for worse or whatever. And so you have to stop yourself and say, I'm just going to enjoy it. I'm just going to enjoy what I've got right now, which is hard to do in the midst of screaming and crying and, you know, whatever. But it helps. Just it turn helps. it over to your wife while she's making a pizza for you. <laughs> She does make me pizza, by the way. It's really good. Uh, <laughs> uh, she's very good at it. Um, I'm worried what she might say. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. You no, know, yeah. Lottie, it was so cute, not last Sunday, but Sunday before last. She wanted to come up to the altar where you were at the end of the service, yeah. but she was embarrassed. Yeah. So she got on her hands and on her feet, and she was crawling up the aisle, <laughs> and she was saying, I'm coming, Daddy. I'm coming, Daddy. <laughs> so I finally had to just walk up to her and pick her up, you know. And, yeah, yeah. And I have a compliment for you. Okay. And Amelia, when she bowed at the altar mm -hmm. Sunday, I thought I would just melt. <laughs> Yeah. That was the most precious thing I've yeah. ever seen. She is she is a sweet, sweet little girl. She's she's smart and she's she's a little sinner, but she's a baptized sinner. And so <laughs> but any anything that she does that's good, I, I can only give glory to God. That's that's really all I can say. Um, God has blessed us with good kids, I think. So that was his wife. Um, what's that? And a good wife. And a very good wife. Yeah, she when she was gone for five days for her grandfather's funeral, I had my parents come and stay and help me out with some things. 
And even, even though they have two of them, they never came to church with my kids because they're just like, it's just too much. We can't. So for one woman to handle those two kids the whole time, I just go, I'm just, I'm kind of in awe that she's able to handle all that. And, and God willing, we'll have more. So, um, and, and yeah, so yeah, it's, it's, but still these, these moments don't last forever. You get on the other side of them and you look back and you say, yeah, like you said, even said, so like, how did I, why was I even worried about it back then? Or why was it, why was I even thinking, I don't want to be here right now? When looking back, you say, thanks be to God. I'm glad I went through that. And like, I've heard another pastor say, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when you die or when Christ comes back and we have the new heavens and the new earth, you're going to look back on all the suffering you had and you go, I wish it was harder. It's going to be weird, but you're going to say, I wish I went through more. Because you look at someone like St. Paul or St. Peter or something like that, and you say, like, man, I wish I had it as hard as you did, if not harder. Because then, man, on some of you have like bragging rights or something. But you say to yourself, that is nothing in comparison to the glory that we have right now, which St. Paul talks about in Romans 8, right? That I do not count the present, uh, the present the present sufferings as anything comparable to the glory that is to come. Yeah. Um, so, and you're, something to think about. And yep. your problems don't stop well while they're just little. No. As they get older, you have other problems. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And, and, and that's, well, you know, people don't want to say that their children or their wives or husbands or whatever are their cross to bear, but... There are challenges that come with that, and 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 you you pick up your cross and follow Christ, uh, and and um, I think I think Luther said, and you know, ladies, this is this is kind of a kind of kind of a joke, uh, but I you know, knowing Luther, everything's half serious, or like a lot of things, not everything, a lot of things are half serious and half joking on some level, but. <laughs> and now they're all getting ready, like what's he going to say? <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> Luther says. Luther said at one point in time, and I, I need to find out where this is, but he said, you know, just like, just like the Pope has made me a better theologian, so my wife has made me a better man. But if you think about it in that way, the Pope was, his, was, was always coming after him the whole time. <laughs> so his wife was on him all, all the time for different things, too. And he's like, it made me a better man because I had to learn, you know, how to deal with her when she wasn't happy or, or you know, had to deal with this, that, or the other, but on some level, she also made me be more humble as well. Because I think there was one story, oh, and this is, <laughs> and that, yeah, and, yeah, no, and because I think I think there was a story of Luther and and Katarina, um, where they uh, or Kitty, as he called her, right. Um, he always had this funny way with her because he wrote a letter to her where he calls her Kitta which in German means chain. Uh, and, and, and so he was always joking around with her, but uh, there was one time where he was at the table. This, this is a, one of the table talks, but he's talking and talking and talking and the food has been served and everybody else is eating, but he keeps talking and talking and talking. And she says to him, dear doctor, uh, perhaps you should take a break from talking and have something to eat. And he got, and he like bowed up at her and said, and I wish that whenever a woman would speak or think, think to speak, first she would say the Lord's Prayer quietly. <laughs> but the thing was, is that she 
flabbergasted him so much that he forgot what he was saying and he began to eat. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> there's two sides there, right? And 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 you play off of each other in that way. Um, so that's just fun, fun little marriage talk with Luther. Uh, so yeah. Anyways, um, in the midst of remembering gloom, there is hope, right? You can always say, at least learn from other people's uh, past experiences and say. I, I can hopefully, by God's grace, get to the other side of this years down the road and look back and say, why was I even worried about it? Yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and that in some sense is also hoping in God's good providence for your life as well. Yeah, that even if the rest of your life is terrible, like some people's lives are, some Christians' lives are, and I know a few that I could talk about, but that would just add to our time, that... Even so, their hope was in heaven, that one day their suffering would be over and everything would be just fine. And that's what they held on to. Yeah. So um, what is the appropriate response to... Did we already talk about that? I know. What is the appropriate response to the afflictions God places on a believer's life? Verses 25 through 27. What do y'all think? What does he say? Wait quietly. Yeah. It is good that you should wait quietly, yeah? Be patient and remain on the faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God is good to those who patiently trust him. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, so it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. We talked about that, but that it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The Psalms say that, Psalm 27, um, you know, uh, be patient, wait for the Lord, right? Um, yeah, anything else you want to say about that? I mean, the flip side of that, so... so, so First of all, yeah, the proper response to the afflictions God places on a believer is to patiently bear them and wait for God to deliver them, either in this life or in the life to come, right? Um, and what happens is, is that people that don't do that, you have a lot of the horrible things going on nowadays, and that's why we have the March for Life and whatnot, because... You know, not just with abortion, but with euthanasia and, and suicide and, and deaths of despair and things like that. People think their problems will only be solved by this drastic act of murder on, on some, either, either yourself or someone else, right? Um, and, and that is to despair to the point of just horrendous sin, Yeah. Um, whereas for us as Christians, we say we're going to bear patiently. We're going to wait because even though it's it's hard to talk about, even though this woman, you know, was 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 raped and impregnated by her rapist, it is not good that that child should suffer and be murdered, right? In fact, you find that there are plenty of kids that are born from or not like a lot. It's actually kind of rare. But when kids are born in that circumstance, they live a life of thankfulness, right? That even though their situation of 
conception and things like that was under horrendous circumstances. They were so thankful that God and you know saw fit to have their mother not end their life in the womb, right? And then there are other people who could die, who, who could die at their own hand because of their own pain and suffering, but then come to see the joy in trusting in God all the more instead of thinking that everything is just so bad they have to take their own life, right? Either by a doctor's hand or their own, yeah? So that's kind of going into a um, heavy topic, but that's all part of the lament and the problem of that people are suffering through these days, yeah? Um, but to know that there is hope. I think there was a woman... That was a couple of years ago. I think it was might, might have been like either while I was at the seminary or beforehand. There was this woman who made national headlines. She had a brain tumor and she moved to, to Oregon to undergo medically assisted suicide. And yet there was another woman who was an LCMS um, member who, you know, who, who had the same diagnosis. And she even reached out to her and said, don't take your own life. It's, you, there is joy in trusting in the Lord. And while that woman didn't listen to her, she went ahead and went to um, be, you know, murdered, basically, by her doctor. Her doctor gave her some, you know, some meds and that eventually took her life. The other woman, I, I, very sad to say, I can't remember her name, but I'll look her up. Maggie. Maggie. That's right. Yeah. She trusted in God and he took her life when it was right, you know, and thanks be to God, right? I hope to see her someday. Yeah. And that's something that is encouraging. Again, and also goes back to what y'all were saying. There are other people that are suffering in ways that we couldn't possibly imagine. And to see them endure in faith is encouraging. Absolutely. Uh, to keep pushing on, though, um, verses 28 through 30 offer further instruction on how, how to bear God's chastening. What attitude should we have when the Lord lays burdens on us? Be quiet and don't complain. <laughs> Be quiet don't complain. Yeah. Yeah? I was afraid that's what it meant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts on that? Okay. So, yeah. Be quiet. Don't complain. Bear your burdens knowing that the Lord himself has given them to you and that there is a reason why he has done so. And that reason is always good. Right? Uh, it helps for us as Christians to know. I mean, Jeremiah didn't necessarily... Jeremiah, the prophets of old, the patriarchs, they don't have the great assurance that we do, necessarily. I mean, they did on some level, but we have it in even greater abundance because we know it, who the Messiah is as we are in the flesh right now. They were still hoping for him to come. We know who he is, and we know that he has ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and that at the right hand of power, he works for the good. Of, he works through all things for the good of us who love him, and who have called according to his good purpose. Right. So he's up. He's not up there, but he's in the heavenly realm, 
in all things, working through all things for our good, even though those good things seem bad and painful right now. And that is comforting, I think. And I hope y'all would think so too. That is for your comfort. Um, that God gives you the burdens so that you would be blessed by them. Um, and that, and, you know, we, we always say, you know, God has a plan and God has a reason for these things to take place. And you may not know exactly what it is, but you can generally say, well, the reason is that it's good for me, right? The reason is that I'm going to benefit and be blessed by this. I don't know how, but I know that it's coming, right? And it's already kind of here if I'm thinking that way about it, yeah? Um, so we should simply allow what will come to come, take what the Lord wants to give us, and place our hope in Him. Uh, and we will have something great in store for us. Um, yeah, any thoughts about that? Any questions? Let's keep pushing on then. Um, what is the Lord's attitude toward his own activity of laying burdens on us? Verses 31 to 33. Let's start there. Well, he won't keep pressing the burdens forever. Yeah. yeah. Pain won't last forever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, so he is not just doing it, also again, he's not just doing it because he is sick and twisted and sadistic, but he's doing it for our good, and the goodness comes that we know that it won't last forever, too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And he also wants us to come to him in prayer mm -hmm. for relief and forgiveness. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, for at least the worst, worst case scenario for the peace and knowing that someday it will all be over and done with and we won't have to worry about it anymore. You know? How's this work? It says, though he causes grief, and then down below it says, but he does not afflict willingly. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting uh, question because uh, I think the Lutheran Study Bible, and that's the New King James... The Lutheran Study Bible is the ESV 2001. I have the 2016 edition. Don't ask me how all that works, but there's there's been revisions or updates, uh, clarifications or whatever. My 2016 edition of the ESV says, um, he, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Um, and I need to look up the Hebrew maybe as well. But, um, chapter 3, I mean, on my note here from the Lutheran Study Bible, God takes no sadistic delight in, in making his creatures uh, miserable, but his compassion and steadfast love assure us that the pain does not last longer than it is, it is uh, longer than, than, than necessary. Quotes like Psalm 103, Jeremiah 3, Jeremiah 31, and Hosea 11. So I think that he doesn't inflict us willingly, and also to understand it from this, this edition, 
Um, he does not afflict from his heart. That he doesn't delight. Because he, he doesn't love us. It's not because he hates us. Right. Yeah. It's not. It's not that he gets pleasure from causing us harm. Um, but it is that he afflicts. Um, he afflicts us for a purpose, and that purpose ultimately is rooted in his love for us. Yeah. I mean, that's the same thing with a father and a child. You have to spank that child. This is how it was back in the old days. Oh, still should be. <laughs> <laughs> because he's disobeyed you, or she's disobeyed you, or she's done something that's harmful for her or him. Okay. And you have to spank them to get their attention to tell them, no, this is not right. right. And that's what that means to me, is that he doesn't... It's, I don't want to spank my children. No. But I have to, you know, to get their attention and let them know that they've done something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Okay. Yeah, so he doesn't do so willingly in the sense that he doesn't delight in our sufferings, right? right? He does love us to, to afflict us and discipline us for our good. Um, okay, so, and, and then there's also the promise in the end as well that even though he uses... Okay, so then, okay, so we have this. So we have the, the, the Lord's attitude... Um, toward his own activity in laying burdens on us. So how does he feel about those who willingly act as his agents in bringing suffering such as the Babylonians in Jeremiah's day? Verses 34 to 36. What does he say is going to happen to them? To who? The Babylonians and other people the, the, that the, he they'll uses. Get, they'll get punished for doing what they Absolutely. Yeah. So um, the Babylonians fell not too long after this, actually. Not too long after the exile in the grand scheme of things. So, and because they just persisted in their evil. And they thought... We can do whatever we want, not realizing that they were part of God's greater plan of uh, salvation for the world. Yeah. Um, so even though he uses uh, terrible, sinful, wicked people to carry out his chastening, he sees he sees the horrible things they're doing and will punish them for it. Yeah. So they don't escape judgment just because they're God's instrument. Yeah, so that's something also to give us some sort of consolation in the midst of these things. Yeah. You know, God will have his justice when the time is right. Yeah. Thoughts on that? Questions? Yeah. Let's keep on going then. China. China. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Let's see. So the Lord is the one who sent terrible times of punishment and chastening into the lives of the people of Judah, causing believers to suffer along with unbelievers. Yet according to verse 39, what do believers have to acknowledge about themselves and their suffering?
You set well, up. Yeah, I mean, we're sinners too, even yeah. though we're righteous, supposedly. You know, we're <laughs> still sinners too. <laughs> but what, it's not because we try to sin and do wrong things. It's maybe because we aren't doing what we should be doing. And that's like sharing the gospel with others. Do you know what I'm saying? No, you're frowning. No, I'm not frowning. I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking because I'm... I'm uh... Well, I mean, we should, as Christians, we should be sharing the gospel. Yes. And we don't always do that. Right. And so that's a sin. But you also hate people and get envious and greedy, right? I mean, I do. Yeah. So we sin. Yeah. yeah. So, but but I the thing you were saying, Iowans were sinners in Texas. Water. I want to make that no. clear. Okay. <laughs> I believe that. No. Go <laughs> back to the previous the previous one also, yeah. where it says that out of the mouth was the that what uh, it is not from the mouth of the Most High that good or bad comes. Right. You know, it's how many times have we done things that we really deserve something bad in, in response, but yet the Lord protects us from that happening. And other times, if we keep doing it, he just says, okay, if you want to keep persisting, I'm going to let you get some of the consequences of your sin. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, God doesn't punish us. We punish ourselves through yeah. sin. That's right. Well, he does punish us, but we're, I mean, he allows, it's, it's not he for allows, lack of trying to stop us on his part. He allows punishment to, to happen to us. That's right. Because we yeah. deserve it. Yeah, there's natural consequences to yeah. these things, of course. I mean, I don't know how many times I can think of things that I've done that I deserved a lot worse than what I got. Yeah. So when it comes to... Um, so he says, according to verse 39, what do believers have to acknowledge about themselves and their sufferings? Um, very generally, why do you suffer? What's, or what's, the, what's the cause of your suffering? Sin. Your sin. sin. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a very general statement. And, and sometimes because we are sinners, we use that to excuse certain things or to flatten out the law in a certain way. Um, you know, people will say, well, you know, homosexuality is just as bad as sleeping with your girlfriend. Okay, I'll the and devil you, maybe do it. Huh? Yeah, the devil maybe do it. Yeah, but but to those to those things you say, yeah, but homosexuality can't be sanctified. Um, fornication, you know, sex before marriage can be sanctified with marriage. So there's like different degrees of that. So we can't necessarily like flatten things out. But we can say at the same time, all sins are damnable unless they are forgiven. And yet at the same time, you know, someone who is, let's say, homosexual, or have, have those desires, they're gonna have to be chastened in a different way than someone else who is heterosexual and engaging in that kind of sin, right? And you know, like um, sex before getting married. So like the chastening is different. It looks different. It, you know, it's because, because each sin is dealt with differently. And yet, um, in the midst of that difference of chastening, do we really have a right to complain? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, because it's for your good. 
right? It's for your good. Um, no one should complain when the Lord chastens them for their sins. We're all sinners. And yet, and that's why, you know, when you say, when you set the hardships that you have in your life, if everybody was, was to set their specific one on the table and you could take anybody else's, you probably just take yours right back. Because you go, well, at least that one's made for me. I don't want to deal with somebody, <laughs> somebody else is having to deal with. Um, and so it's your cross tailor-made for you. And just like Jesus didn't complain, we, by his grace, are given the strength to endure in the same way, right? We will complain, and God doesn't hold, us, hold that against us, right? Also, don't hear me say that, because otherwise, why do we have the book of Lamentations, <laughs> right? Um, he's complaining, um, and, uh, uh, and yet at the same time, God hears his complaint, yeah, so it's that strange paradoxical life of we ask for the power and the strength not to complain and to endure. And yet if we do complain, God still hears us. He's not going to turn us away forever. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're going to keep pushing on here because we're right at the end. And man, we can just keep pushing, pushing on. Um, good good discussion, though. Um <clears throat> So Lamentations chapter 3, verses 40 through 66. Who wants to finish us off with that? Anybody? Visitors can read too. <laughs> Visitors can read too, if you'd like. <laughs> Challenge, John. Yeah. You may suffer after you listen to <laughs> Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled. You have not pardoned. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain and not pitied. You have covered yourself with a cloud that prayer should not pass through. You have made us an off-scouring and refuse in the midst of the peoples. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Fear and a snare have come upon us, desolation and destruction. My eyes overflow with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes flow and do not cease without interruption till the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes bring suffering to my soul because of all the daughters of my city. My enemies without cause hunted me down like a bird. They silenced my life in the pit and threw stones at me. The waters flowed over my head, and I said, I am cut off. I called on your name, O Lord, from the lowest pit. You have heard my voice. Do not hide your from my sighing, from my cry for help. You drew near on the day I called on you and said, Do not fear. O Lord, you have pleaded the case for my soul. You have redeemed my life. O Lord, you have seen how I am wronged, judge in my case. You have seen all their vengeance, all their schemes against me. You have heard their reproach, O Lord, all their schemes against me, the lips of my enemies and their whispering against me all the day. Look at their sitting down and their rising up. I am their taunting song. Repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. Give them a veiled heart. Your curse be upon them. In your anger, pursue and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. All right. So what did Jeremiah call on the people of Judah to do? Verses 40 through 42. Repent. 
Yeah, for, yeah. First of all, uh, in in repentance, there must be an examination, right? Um, you have to. It's it's worthwhile. In fact, I think necessary to understand just exactly what it is you're being forgiven of. Not that we have to have a whole catalog of every single sin, but if there is something that rightfully is troubling our conscience, we need to acknowledge it before God and be forgiven of it directly and purposefully, you know, it needs to be forgiven, <clears throat> which is why we have um, confession and absolution, not only every Sunday, but whenever someone needs it. And there are questions that you can ask yourself to prepare, right? It's in the small catechism. You ask the questions of what have I done? Consider your station in life according to the Ten Commandments and all these things like that. So examine yourself. Um, examine your life and the sin that you've committed. Confess to the Lord that you have sinned, uh, that you have sinfully rebelled against him. That's what he's telling uh, Judah to do. So to his prayer, the prophet added a long description of the sufferings of his people. Why do you think the prophet added this list? Verses 43 through 51. I put to let the people know exactly how they are sinning. Um, I don't know if that's correct. Okay, I mean... That's kind of what I got out to, of to, to let the people know how they've, they've sinned? Mm-hmm. Um, well, he's, he's speaking to God right now, right? Uh, this is his prayer. And... Um, but he says he covered yourself with a cloud. Yeah. That no prayer could get through. Yeah, so these are the things that God has been doing to them. These are the ways that they are suffering. <coughs> and in that sense, he's asking for specific relief. So... Um, you have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. Please stop killing us. <laughs> um, you have wrapped yourself in a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. Please hear our prayers. Yeah? You have uh, made us scum and garbage among the peoples. Please restore us as you would have us be your people. Right? So you can read all these things hoping for the opposite of, you know, hoping the, for the remedy. Of, of, you know, the pain that is being caused, you know, that's being brought upon them. Um, so these are all the ways that God has afflicted them. And he's, and he's just saying he wants, um, he's rela by relating the people's, um, the people's sufferings, the prophet was appealing to God to show mercy on them, right? Show us your mercy in all these ways by not doing all these things you've been doing to us. Yeah. Please stop. <laughs> Cease and desist, Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Thoughts or questions on that? Okay. Um, as we read Lamentations, we must realize that we are dealing with two groups of people who are both going through the sufferings God is sending on his people. The first group is the is the, 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 sorry, the majority. They are the unbelievers in Judah who for centuries had been 
rebelling against God by worshiping idols. In their case, everything God is doing to Judah and Jerusalem is pure punishment. The other group is where Jeremiah and his and his his fellow believers fall. For them, um, everything that is happening to Judah and Jerusalem is chastisement. God is using these difficulties to refine and purify the faith of the of of the believers. Uh, read verses 52 through 66 with this in mind. Jeremiah prophesied the horrors of what God would do to Judah and Jerusalem. Um, everything he said flew in the face of the false prophets who prophesied peace and security for Jerusalem. Jeremiah was continually persecuted for his for his, for his his message of doom. What's more, in proclaiming victory for Babylon, Jeremiah was looked on as a traitor for his words were demoralizing the troops. Yet how did the Lord use the persecutions Jeremiah faced to strengthen his faith? Verses 52 through 59. Thank you. <laughs> so, what do y'all got? <clears throat> How did the Lord use the persecutions Jeremiah faced to strengthen his faith? drew near and said, do not fear. Mm -hmm. You've redeemed him, my life. Yeah. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. Um, you have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. Right? Um, so the Lord drew near and said, do not fear. Um, Jeremiah experienced the Lord's, um, the Lord's deliverance. He was at the point of death in the pit, yet the Lord rescued him. And there's a cross-reference there for Jeremiah 38, verses 6 through 10, um, where it says, So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. At least they didn't just toss him in whole, whole hog there. Um, and there was no water in the cistern, but only mud, and Jeremiah sank in the mud. When um, excuse me. When Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian, a Eunuch, who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern. The king was sitting in the, the Benjamin gate. Ebed Melech went from the king's house and said to the king, My lord, my lord, the king, these men have done 
evil and all that they did to Jeremiah the prophet by casting him into the cistern, and he will die there of hunger, for there is no bread left in in the city. Then the king commanded. Uh, then com- then the king commanded. Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian, take 30 men with you from here and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. And so they did. Right? So, so what king was this? Um, king of Babylon? No, this was the uh, this was the king of Judah. Okay. Yeah, this was the king of Judah. This is before the exile and okay. everything. This okay. is... Um, yeah, Jeremiah is cast into the cistern and rescued. Uh, this is a, this is a King Zedekiah. Yeah, yeah, King Zedekiah. And then after that, it's great because he gets out of the cistern, um, and it says King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah the prophet and received him at the third entrance of the temple of the Lord. The king said to Jeremiah, "I will ask you a question. Hide." Nothing from me, Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, if I tell you, will you not surely put me to death? <laughs> and if I give you counsel, you will not listen to me. So, and then they go on, and Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, if you will surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then your life shall be spared, and the city shall not be burned with fire. And he goes on, and of course, Zedekiah does not take his advice, you know. So it's like he keeps telling him things he doesn't want to hear. But in the midst of this, he's speaking God's word, and he's suffering for it. Yeah, that's the bottom line for that one. But Jeremiah was assured that God knew him and knew the hardships that he was in. What is more, God upheld his cause. That is, he made it clear to Jeremiah and not the false prophets. Uh, he made it clear that Jeremiah and not the false prophets was truly speaking for God. Yeah, Because they kept saying, peace, peace. And Jeremiah said, they keep saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. They say, we have the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And what happened to the temple of the Lord? It was destroyed, right? Because of God's wrath and anger for their sin. Um, So it's one of those times where you don't want to be the one that gets to say, I told you so, right? So nevertheless, Jeremiah added a request, namely that God would not allow, that, that God not allow his persecutors to succeed, was it wrong for Jeremiah to curse them? Is that a sin? No. 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 It's not a sin. Um, uh, what did he say? So this is verses 60 through 66. Um, you have seen all their, 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 their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, behold, their sitting and their rising. I am the object of their taunts. And, and so I think in the New King James, it says he's asking that the Lord would repay them. And I think in the ESV, it says you will, um, you will... <coughs> Uh, you will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them the dullness of heart. You, your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. I, I think it's better for him to ask these things. But maybe the, there's there's both sides of it saying, you like, I'm asking these things and I know you will do these things. There's two sides of that. Um, it's not wrong 
um, it's not wrong for him to curse them um, because any time you have the imprecatory psalms and you call down the imprecation on someone else that is going against God's will, it is ultimately for their conversion, primarily. And then also it is so that they would stop doing the wickedness that they are doing for the good of others, right? I think I've said this before, like if there's a if there's a serial killer on the loose, you're not gonna you're not going to necessarily say, you know, um, you know, oh, I, I just hope they keep killing people. And maybe that's God's will. You know, you you say, Lord, stop that person. However you will break his teeth off, cut off his hands, keep him from doing these things, whatever you've got to do to keep him from killing these people. And the Lord, you know, sees that and says, that's good. You should pray that the wickedness would stop. You know, and 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 um, say whatever it is you have to do, God, just do it. Stop their horrible sins against other people, and um, in that sense, that's what it is too. I mean, that's a curse to say, stop them, um, repay them for what they've done. Hopefully, so they would repent and come to faith. But even so, that's in your hands, O oh Lord. You know, um, so. Anybody want to push back against that, or they don't think that's quite right, or what do y'all think? You know, just think about lunch at this point. <laughs> yeah, I know it's, it's it's gone a little long, but that's just something to think about, probably. Okay, so 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 just think about that that um, um, that who he's talking about are also the people that are worshiping wrongly and secure in their sin and persecuting Jeremiah because he's speaking the word of God against their will and what they would have done. And in that sense, they are following the father of lies, who is Satan, and they need to be brought to justice for that, ideally through repentance and faith, but if not, knowing that God will repay them in eternity. Yeah? And that is a hard thing for us to think about, but it also helps to say that's God's job, and we're just going to hand it over to Him, right? Yeah. It's not hard for me to think that. Some people is easier than others. So. <laughs> I like. Yeah. To make it real brief, when I look yes, at who's in control of various things and what they're pushing and doing, I'm thinking, Lord, stop that! That's yeah. That's going off the deep. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. Yeah, stop it, break the teeth out of their mouths, you know, that sort of thing. Let them not be able to cause harm, right? Um, you can say that figuratively if you want to, if you don't want, if, if you don't want their teeth to actually be broken. <laughs> but we, we've got a keep them from harming people, yeah. Who uh, lives in Illinois, and in Illinois, as of two years ago, in second grade, children are taught the whole LGBT thing. Mm -hmm. and oh, my you, gosh. And you cannot get any waiver for religious reasons or anything to have your child removed. You yeah. cannot get have any reason that child leave the classroom. You, the child has to sit there. No, they don't. <laughs> I mean, no, if, I know. If you want their kid to stay in that school, yeah, they, they have school, to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that, uh, I mean, evil. it is absolutely yeah, evil. That's... The satanic. But but honest, interesting honest enough, thing. in Iowa, we've got a we've got a 
governor now they're pushing real hard for vouchers so that every child can take the voucher and go either a private school, a charter school, a home school, a public school, whatever. And the Christian schools in my neck of the woods are all applauding that. And some school board members are saying, no, 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 no. Once that public money comes in here, then they get to tell us what to teach. That's right. Keep that public money out of here. Yeah. Once it comes in, we we lose all control over what we're teaching. How about, well, and I'm not a politician, but could there be a way to say like, well, my kid's not in public school, so I'm not going to pay taxes for it? <laughs> I mean, sense. I mean, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it, on it some does. level? But it, but you know, then 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 you also have to say, well, we're some people. Some people would say we you're you're part of a community, and you have to take into account this, that, and the other, and da da da. da. But I'm just like, well, I guess I guess you know we're gonna homeschool our kids, and so we say, well, I guess I can go to school board meetings as a taxpayer and still say what you're doing is horrible and satanic, and you you need to repent if something would warrant that. You know, um, anyway, so yeah, we would pray that wickedness would end. And honestly, I, I, I mean, that would mean, I believe, to, if, if there's a good Christian, uh, well, ideally a good Christian man who wants to run for school board, support them, even if they're not Lutheran, right? If they're, even if they're a Baptist, uh, I'll take it. But I'd rather take that than, than the person who is... Um, you know, uh, I mean, not the, well, uh, then like the, huh? A Mormon? Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd take that over the one who may be credentialed from all the big universities, but totally woke out the wazoo. Uh, they may be credentialed, but they are not qualified, right? Because the ungodliness has just gotten so rampant and, ah, you know, we're, We've said before, we see some parallels here with our country and what's going on in Lamentations, and we might find ourselves lamenting in a foreign land someday. And maybe that would even include our own land, but it's so foreign to anything we ever would have thought or hoped for, for ourselves or for our children, right? I mean, technically, we're in Babylon right now. Yeah. Yeah. We are in Babylon right now. We are in exile as Christians in this world. So this makes sense. When I was on the school board in the mid-90s, uh -huh. uh, we had a lawsuit against our school board not to allow the salutatorian to say a prayer at commencement. And it came from a town 50 miles away. It was a Unitarian, a Jewish priest, rabbi, rabbi, and I forget who the other one was. And we lost, and then we appealed to the 7th, Federal Court of Appeals in St. Louis. But I went to the, and we won that. So Saturday before, the that Court of Appeals in St. Louis said we could have the prayer. It cost a lot of money, but we yeah. went in there as a school board. So I went to the, the trial in Sioux City and asked the Unitarian priestess. Yeah. And I said, yeah. why? Why are you trying to prevent us Christians from saying a prayer? We've done it since the town was founded. She said, because I pay taxes and goes to Des Moines and comes back and turns the light on in your high school oh. auditorium. And I reject your Christian beliefs. So I should not have to pay taxes to have the fan run the lights on at your commencement. Well, at least she admitted she's not a Christian. So that's a good thing. <laughs> 
And I reminded her she was not a Christian too. That's right. <laughs> and then I went to the Unitarian Church a few weeks later. Uh oh. Just to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't it? But you know what? Those are the battles we have before us. That was 30 years ago. Yeah, but it's even worse now. It's crazy. Well, that's what I'm saying. That was 30 yeah. years ago. So yeah. it's just multiplied since then. So you, you're weird. absolutely right. It's, we, it's weird to think that the 90s were 30 years ago. But yeah, you're right. I mean, and look at where we are now. So, um, yeah, so, but you can, I would say, as your pastor, and hopefully any other right-minded um, uh, biblically orthodox pastor would say, it's okay to pray against that priestess. I mean, because obviously she serves a different God, and that God ultimately is Satan, let's be honest. I mean, any other, any other false God is demonic, Right. We may be uncomfortable with those terms, but the lines are starkly drawn, and we need to admit that. And that's the only way we're actually going to make it through any of this, is to know who's who and who's the true God. And that's really all there is to it. Um, and know that the battle is already, the war has already been won, and yet we're fighting the cleanup before Christ comes back. Um, so, uh, so apply real quick. Jeremiah felt deep sorrow for his people, verses 49 through 51, even though many of them had mocked and persecuted him. How does this example shape our attitude to this world? Thoughts? Unless you want me to just give you my thing. <laughs> my side of it. I'd like to hear y'all first, if possible. If you're not too hungry. <laughs> you should still have compassion for them. Yes. Yeah. There's still, not yeah. much you can do to them or for them other than pray. Yeah. They be enlightened. Yeah. I've, I've, I've mentioned before that, you know, there's, I think we should revisit the idea of shaking the dust off of our feet. Um, on some level, that doesn't mean we stop praying for them, but it does mean that we commend them to God and his, and his care that they, that he would soften them up to hear the word and repent someday. Uh, but we should, we should, um, know when, know when to move on to people who will actually hear us out. Uh, but also to say that we still, if they come to us, you know, we, we still have compassion on the unbeliever because we don't want them to perish forever because God doesn't want that, right? He desires that all men would be saved. Uh, and, and, and yet at the same time, we trust that he will be just and judge accordingly and that we um, know that uh, if we don't say something, if we, you know, some, sometimes I think I, I said this in a sermon a couple weeks ago, like sometimes we say to ourselves, well, God is still in control, but we use that so that we won't do anything about it. You know, we say, well, God's still in control. I'm just going to sit back and just not bother. Whereas you should use that to say God is still in control and therefore everything that I does, everything that I do matters. You know, all my actions matter now because God is in control and I am his instrument. So that person that hates God, if I can just tell them, hey, you need to repent, or otherwise you're going to burn in hell, and God doesn't want that for you, you know, um, and, and hopefully they get to the point where they say, well, how do I keep from having that happen to me? So Christ died for you. 
your sins are forgiven by trusting in him, you know? You're, like, the benefits of salvation are given to you by trusting that he has died for you, you know? It's still there for you whether you want it or not. At least I'm until so he... stubborn here. At least he comes back. You know, stop resisting grace. Um, yeah, so... But at the same time, we have, we have compassion. We pray for people. We do our best to speak God's word and also commend to people... Command people to God's care and judgment where it needs to be. So, all right, that's all for today. Um, do you have a closing pizza? I mean, prayer. <laughs> <laughs> where are we going uh, to lunch? No pizza. pizza. No pizza, but I do have a prayer. You can come to my place about two days north of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Yes, I. No pizza, but I do have a prayer. And it's the best prayer because the Lord gave it to us. So taught by our Lord and trusting his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.